Hello and welcome to Architecture Out of Sight. I'm Essie, the architect. I'd like to first of all apologize for last week. I missed an episode last week because um, the week was just full of circumstances I could not control that didn't give me enough time to curate what I want to talk about and really prepare adequately for it. So rather than put out a poorly prepared um, episode I decided to just skip it I hope you do understand I had so much planned for this week's episode I wrote an essay and researched the essay and I was going to you know deliver this or what I thought was going to be this really really thought-provoking episode it was going to be on how we value architecture i mean how we financially value our architecture and and how we can assign market value to the work that we do and all that eventually i'm still going to do an episode on that because it's a very is one very important um discussion that, sh- that that architects you have especially for us young architects that are still in the quote-unquote trenches and trying to get out the issue or the conversation of pricing is a very very important one but the importance or the scale of that conversation is is exactly the reason why i'm not going to be dealing with it in this episode in fact i think i'll try to have a webinar soon so i can have you know like-minded people architects designers and of all of all um, ages young and old i mean try to get together and talk about it first before i try to do an episode on it because i think that that is something that is mostly beyond the purview of just one opinionated point of view that being said, uh, while I was trying to find something else to cover the void <laughs> that passing that topic created, I came across. I was reading. I was reading um, some articles on Common Edge. So if you don't know about Common Edge, Common Edge is a is a non-profit. Um, organization they have a website where they kind of curate or they curate not kind of they curate um thoughts essays and opinions of some of the leading minds in the global architecture and design community so uh i was you know on my routine browse through the through the um, website and i came across this article it was titled a general agreement for the practice of contemporary architecture and i found it really 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 captivating it was i think it's it's a very powerful article because it outlines some some let's say commandments that some of them i i was i, I was found guilty some of them have been things i've been very very convicted about for years 
and some of them are just general um, guidelines principles I think every architect should have um, at the back of their mind or probably at the front after this episode is just going to be me reading through those quote-unquote commandments um, but I'm going to I'm going to link the article I'm going to add a link to the article in the show notes of this episode so anyone that is interested enough to go check it out for themselves can can just find an easy way to do that I, I would recommend that anybody that listens to this episode should try to check it out especially if you're a passionate architect that is interested in producing you know highly impactful and you know really important work with high integrity so that being said i'll jump into it right now but first So once again, the title of this article is A General Agreement for the Practice of Contemporary Architecture and is in the opinion section of the Common Edge website. It was written by Andres, Andre, Andres Duani on the 11th of September 2021 so I'll just get into it so there's a there's a there's a a starting note in response to an age of social stress of nature undermined by patterns of human dwelling refusing contamination by the commercial the esoteric and the transient we are in agreement and here are the things we are in agreement about. That architectural expression should derive from its urban, cultural, and climatic context, and not only from the will to form of the designer. Hmm. This one is heavy. <laughs> A lot of us will be found wanting because we just create to, to, to satisfy the urge to bring something to life and most times we forget that this creation is going to exist within you know certain already existing context so yes that is one very important one that's a very very heavy way to start let's move on and side note i I probably will not give a um a personal review or comment on each and every one of them because they're kind of a lot and that would take a lot of time so i'm just going to read through them just to you know kind of spark an interest in my listeners and you so you could check it out yourself i think it would be more of benefit to you if you check it out yourself so i'll just continue then the second that architecture should be in continual evolution 
but not under the thrall of fashion cycles. Buildings are not a consumer item. Preach, man, preach. That most buildings cannot avoid responding to the market, but should avoid being deformed by it. It is a role of architecture to assuage the savagery of commerce. This is a very wide covering um, commandment, <laughs> especially as regards housing in general. I mean, like the whole housing industry is just something else. And this, this, is, this is speaking to that. I think I'll do an episode on, on the housing industry sometime down the line. It's something that I'm very passionate about. I'll talk about it soon. Okay, moving on. The architecture requires... That architecture requires the support of environmentalism, engineering, and sociology, but should not be dominated by their prerogatives. That participation in a permanent avant-garde is is an untenable position. Architects at the peak of their abilities should not be marginalized because their time of fame has passed. That even as buildings reflect the character of a place, they may acknowledge that architectural influence has migrated along cultural and climatic belts to markedly positive effects. That architectural form should not be condemned by the cultural wars. Buildings should be permitted to transcend the circumstances of their creation, becoming useful and beloved to subsequent cultures. I think this reminds me of an essay I wrote about the love garden for those of my listeners that um, that went to UNEC. Everybody knows about the, the um, the Lagos building love garden. Um, I wrote an essay some some months ago. I think it was titled "Yearning for Expression," and is that generally kind of details or outlines what this uh, particular principle? I'll just call this this thing's principles. Saying commandment sounds kind of dramatic. This principles. This particular principle, I, I think it, it details what this last one I read is saying that um, building should be permitted to transcend the circumstances of their creation. Me, I truly believe that when buildings do this, that's what, that when buildings do this, that is when they can be considered to be alive and living because if you can design something that while it's very reflective of the circumstance of his creation, it's very um, aware of the circumstance of his creation, but still can transcend those circumstances and become useful and beloved to subsequent cultures or subsequent eras. I mean, that is when the building becomes alive because it grows. It grows in utility and it grows in impression and expression. So, uh, I'll probably at some other time, at some other time, in probably another episode, I'll share a link to that essay for whoever is interested to read. Or you could just follow me on, you just find me on LinkedIn. And um, I've posted it on LinkedIn before. It's somewhere down there. 
on medium sc the architect i'm on, on medium you find me at sc the architect sc dot the architect and you can find the essay somewhere there moving on to the, to the next principle that there is a difference between the creativity necessary in the design process and the object and the urge to invent which may result in transient fame but also in permanent failure a lot of us need to hear this the pursuit of originality condemns cities to incoherence and an architect's work to unwarranted obsolescence hmm not said <laughs> That expecting a hundred thousand architects to perform for the estimation of a hundred self-appointed critics is an absurdity and deeply humiliating to a learned and challenging profession. This one made me feel a, a type of way because I tend to consider myself an architectural critic. So yeah, I mean, kind of a is true bullet not exactly a bullet because it doesn't actually hurt but still there was contact next that's polemicists without the experience of building should be denied i'm laughing because this one was an actual hit yeah it was not a stray bullet it was a targeted bullet at me well anyway i'll just get through it again that polemicists or poemicists. Hmm, this is the first time I'm saying this word. I mean, aside from the first time I read this article, so I don't really know how to pronounce it, but let's just go with poemicists. That poemicists without the experience of building should be denied undue influence on the reputation of buildings and their architects. The academy and the profession are slightly overlapping epistemologies. Next, that architects should develop an unmediated voice in the popular press. This is very important. Explaining their own work so that the public may intelligently assess the buildings they inhabit. Interestingly and incidentally, I, I wrote an essay about this yesterday. And I shared on LinkedIn um, about the importance of architectural documentaries and those kind of um, media forms that give the architect the opportunity to explain the thoughts and the and the you know little the intricate technicalities that go into creating a project so that people can have more robust material to or to understand this work these works that are produced um well you can check it out on linkedin as well on medium too at se dot the architect moving on to the to the next principle that the practice of both traditionalist and modernist architecture should have equal standing they are forever more parallel persistent realities they are forever more parallel re persistent realities Buildings should be evaluated not by their ideology, but by their quality. Mm. Uh, this is something I'm very, very, very passionate about. And I think my friend, um, Andre, Andre would, would love, love to hear this. I mean, Andre is, is a very vocal 
um, activist for for this particular principle. I hope he listens to this episode. I think he would he would enjoy. He would want to read this article, or maybe I'll just share it with him. Moving on, that architects should endeavor to contribute to all skills of design by participating in the political arena. Urban policy should not be decided solely by words and numbers, but also informed by the clarity of drawings. True, I agree. That architects should demand clear standards of design rather than being subjected to the personal opinions of committees and politicians. Unless rules exist, subjective review by empowered ignorance will continue to bedevil architectural designs. Obviously. That architects should arrange post-occupancy evaluations of completed buildings. Feedback protocols are normal in complex technical activities. Whatever dismay may be endured will result in better subsequent performance. Now, this is very important. I mean, this is very important. And I think a lot of the reason why most architects don't do this is because in their, in their minds, the extent of their participation in particular creation or, or, or realization of a design just goes to setting up i mean the physical presence most people don't don't think beyond that physical presence to the user experience the experience of people that consume these spaces that use these spaces the empathy is very shallow and that's why they'll probably not care about how these spaces they've created how they interact with the users with the people that, that use these spaces because anybody that is interested about that would, would would obviously be interested in having post-occupancy evaluations. Talk to people. You, your intentions in creating these spaces, all those concepts you had, were they realized? I mean, did they, did they hold up? Is it what happened in reality? In, in digital product design, in the tech industry, this is something that is very, 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 very widespread, very well documented, well developed. And I think in in the general philosophy of design think, thinking or conversation of design thinking, this is very, very important because design is not a static, is not a finite process. It's an ongoing process. Although I can understand how in, in the world of architecture, design might seem like a finite process. So you, you, it's a process up to a point where this physical solid mass is established and then there's really nothing you can do except maybe a couple of upgrades here and there. But the thing is, if you look at, if we, if we zoom out a little bit and look at design as a broader ongoing discourse, as a discipline that experiences should inform subsequent experiences then we have we, we start to see how very important that this ongoing interaction with the designs we create how important it is to maintain to establish and maintain that ongoing interaction so um doing reviews and evaluations um of of completed buildings and spaces and products architectural products that we create 
So uh, I'll just read this principle again for effect because I, because I think it's an important one. That architects should arrange post-occupancy evaluations of completed buildings. Feedback protocols are normal in complex technical activities. Whatever dismay may, must be endured will result in better subsequent performance. To the next principle, that architects should not impose untested ideas on affordable housing. Failure is disastrous as the residents are powerless to escape the consequences. Architects should, however, feel free to experiment with their patrons as they can afford to decamp if necessary. <laughs> this principle reminds me of an article I read recently of um, um, the actor Brad Pitt's foray into affordable housing, into emergency response housing. I think there was a hurricane or it, yeah, I think it was a hurricane or a cyclone. One of these natural disasters happened in New Orleans some years ago. I think in 2018, I can't, re I can't really remember the, the minute details, but there was a, there was a natural disaster that, you know, caused widespread devastation around the city of New Orleans. And being a son of the soil, Brad Pitt had, had conceptualized this, you know, very, very large scale emergency housing response that sought to provide affordable housing for for people, for the most vulnerable, the people that were most affected by the crisis. And it had been this whole affair with... Um, global architectural firms you know the leading global architectural firms that you see on on architectural websites and you know those those normal people you hear them you hear of every time um the star architects i was trying to avoid using that but yeah you know the star architects so i think there were about 14 practices or maybe even more it was an absurd number of practices all working on the same um on the same project and you know how architecture is how design is generally everybody wants to stand out everybody wants to show their genius everybody wants to you know create this original concept and everything and in the end it just created a horrible project i'm not going to go into details of how the project failed but it did fail and i think that is that is um just and it's just evident of what this principle is trying to avoid untested ideas on affordable i mean it's kind of it's not exactly a straight line i think because sometimes the i mean the present um, frameworks and models for affordable housing have not um exactly been very very successful over the years over time as i mean people have have done some really genius stuff some people have tried things um there's this the popular architect um alejandro um aravena i think that owns studio elemental in chile i think he even won a pritzka for his affordable housing concept which at the time was very very novel very very genius but then i was reading an article a couple of years later and 
it had also you know devolved into something unpalatable i, I don't know it was an opinion so it probably would have different views to it but the idea is yes we should not test and um, we should not impose untested ideas but i think there should be some room for iterations and 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 experiments maybe not on a large scale maybe in controlled um in on a controlled scale but i mean if you don't if you don't try new things, I mean, new solutions would elude us. So, but yes, I do agree that it should not be imposed. At least not on a scale that would that would prove very very um, anti anti um, climatic. That would prove to be you know negative to the result, the outcome that is expected. Moving on to your next principle. This is already getting very long. I hope you guys will be able to bear with me to the end because there are still fun ones now. And we've barely gone um, far. But let's just keep going. That urban design depends on architecture being practiced as a collective endeavor and not as a means of professional brand differentiation. Hmm that architects should retake responsibility for the complex practice of urban design now desiccated by the metrics of codes traffic counts and financial spreadsheets this one will cause fight yeah there's 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 a level of appropriation that this is hinting at that i'm sure some people would, would swear and raise their stakes at, at architects that, that propose this architects that are proponents of this principle but well i'm sure there's a there's a logical reason for this principle but well i'm not going to say anything more than that on that moving on to the next principle that building should be designed to be partially durable as well as mutable this is required by the longevity of urbanism hmm important that the large scale of structures must be mitigated by the small scale detail recognized by the fragile human beings whose environment is being designed architecture defined solely by abstraction is intimidation made concrete now this is what is going on a lot in the global architectural sphere i mean god the buildings just get bigger and bigger and larger and more massive and i'm wondering are all of them necessary to be that big or is it necessary for all of them to be that big and if buildings continue to you know get bigger and bigger don't we stand to risk of losing the human skill because Permit me for being skeptical about some of this, you know, top practices, but I mean, I know they have the people to be able to work across scale. So while on a larger, on a broader view, they are, they have this large scales, but then they have the kind of workforce, the manpower to um, resolve these large scales down to small, minute details. I mean, there's that possibility, but do they really do that on the very, very 
personal human experiential skill is the architecture as beautiful as the massive structure that is, is being imposed on over on the urban fabric these days i don't know it's a question that we all should ask ourselves even as we do our own concepts and and projects moving on to the other to the next principle i think i'll just start to run through this mm that each building should be coherently composed the application of formal complexity is a false surrogate for an absent diversity authentic architectural variety results only when several architects design separate buildings in succession responsive to the prior ones that architects should design concurrently with landscape architects Landscape architects, in turn, should abdicate their preference for autonomous or dominant layouts. The earth is not a canvas, and nature not a suitable material for an art installation. That architect should respond. That architecture should respond to its context. However, if the available context is not suitable, then the proper response is to inaugurate one that is. I think there should be a disclaimer attached to this so that people don't go overboard because you know humans humans like to go overboard but yeah i think i mean i've encountered a couple of designs where the existing context just is you know something else i mean and context in this case it, it spans a very broad category of things so it could be environmental context it could be you know um programmatic context it could be it could be a lot of things really but i think this principle just sums everything into you know one blanket uh understanding of context so yeah um moving on that architecture schools should accept the responsibility of teaching a body of knowledge not strive to incite inventiveness among students Supporting the rare genius, the rare genius of each generation does not warrant a pedagogy that flummoxes the merely talented. A lot of big words, but essentially, this is very, very. I I support this hundred hundred percent because a lot of a lot of the study of architecture these days, it just I it just drives you know it is is driven by this this um bead to force um, a battle for originality so you see people i mean a competition for whose concept is the most uh, is the best is the most you know um out of this world is the most interesting and mind-blowing and all that and it kind of it's it's and in the long run i think it has a very very drastic negative effect on the pedagogy of architecture in general and i and that is why this principle i think is very important architecture schools should accept the responsibility of teaching a body of knowledge not strive to incite inventiveness among students and i think that's one of the reasons why we have all these magnificent ideas and concepts and then we come into the real world and realize that we we absolutely know nothing we are clueless and ignorant of of what gives in the architectural world 
I mean, in real life architecture. I I, I think this is the, the our schools are very are culpable of this of this error. You know, and I think it has to change. So yes, this principle is very 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 um important and relevant to a lot of a lot of us. The next um principle. Wow, we're getting past thirty minutes already. Woof. That students should be taught sympathy for plain old good buildings, not just reverence for history's thin stream of masterpieces. Mm. Aspiration only to the exceptional does not provide a practical model for professional education, nor can it lead to personal satisfaction. I'm just going to run through, although there are some really, really important um, principles I'd like to, you know, expand on and talk about, but I don't want to get, I don't want this to get too long so that people can actually listen and appreciate it. So if you really want to understand this for yourself, you do well to read the article on your own, or maybe you could, I'll be creating a, a group sometime in the coming days, and then I'm going to share that so you could just join in and we could talk about some of these things. Um, so let me, I'll just I'll just run through the remaining that artists, sociologists, philosophers, linguists, environmentalists and political scientists pretending to teach architecture should return to their departments from which they can continue to influence architecture students in proper measure. That the mental iron curtain now drawn between the history courses and the design studios be torn down. Knowledge of prior achievement has been the basis of human progress. Surely architecture cannot be the sole exception. That students should be offered the alternative of an apprenticeship of an apprenticeship system. There has been no more effective method of learning architecture. I agree. Historically, as many fine architects have learned from apprenticeship to a master as have graduated from academies. And some of the most popular architects, I think, um, Le Corbusier, Tadoando, Frank Lloyd Wright, popular, you know, I mean, I think Philip Johnson as well. I I don't I don't know about Philip Johnson, but a lot of the of the most popular architects. I think even even Louis Kahn. I don't know. I'm not very sure about Louis Kahn, but yes, a lot of the most popular, some of the most popular architects we have today. I mean learn from apprenticeship next that the history of architecture should also include the masters of its administration talented students who are not wholly convinced by the importance of aesthetics should know of the alternative governments everywhere are solely in need of design thinking i think this is where i fall into i'm not particularly I'm interested in aesthetics of, of design. I am I'm more interested in the analytical and critical characters and 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 um, skills that architecture gives rather than the you know aesthetically creative part. But that's that's a different conversation for another day. That architects like attorneys should dedicate a portion of their time without compensation to those who would not otherwise have access to professional design. 
interestingly this would tend to do more good than harm to the architecture um to the field of architecture i mean there's in fact i think i'm going to talk about this in an episode in a separate episode because i think it, it, it needs it needs to be said and it needs to be to be conversed or in a conversation needs to happen on that on that subject moving on that the commercial the commercial success of kitsch in building does not confirm that most people would will accept only what is known to them the rear view mirror must be periodically broken especially when a strong market allows it i'm not going to pretend that i understand what that principle is saying but maybe i'll read i'll read on it a couple of more times and maybe to become clear moving on that building should incorporate progress in construction materials and methods but only when justified by the improvements conferred not for the bragging rights of newness per se hmm. i think at this point i'm going to take a break just to break things up because it's going to be longer and i need your ears to hear something more palatable than the sound of my voice so interlude Well, welcome back from that short interlude. And in that short time, I was thinking, I mean, the point of this episode was not to kind of read the whole list of principles out. I mean, I probably should have just picked out a couple of very, very important ones, ones that I found very, very compelling and just um, talked about them. To give an uh, an initial idea to to for you to just go ahead and then check the whole article out because I definitely think it will be faster for you to go through the article yourself and I think you just understand it better if you did so yourself. So um, while we still have a couple of principles, oh, not very much. I've almost gotten to the end. Okay, I think I will just run through it then. I mean, we've already done that, so. Um, so let me just run through it. Just have a, we just have like four more. Okay, five more, and then we're done. But I, I'm, I'm seriously advocating and encouraging you to go check the article out yourself, so you understand it. You read it from your own point of view and understand it for yourself. Moving on, that techniques of mass production should be included among the options for building, but they should not become a crutch to determine the form of the building at the expense of humane criteria. That graphic technology should not determine the design of buildings, very important. Computer-aided design is an instrument of efficiency, not a determinant of form. Now listen to this. Because a shape can be depicted does not mean that it should be constructed. Architects, are you hearing? Especially those star architects. Don't tell anyone I said that. But it's true. Moving on. That an authentic contemporary architecture must be driven by the need to make good buildings available to their largest number of people. Only what can be produced in large quantities is consequential to the reality of the future 
architecture is not an exception. Well, I think this one is for people that really, really want to make a difference. But I mean, you can make a difference in any way. It's not, it's not the one track story or something. Now, architects should risk engaging the industries that produce mobile homes and mail order plant services. These are proven systems for delivering affordable housing without subsidy. Their reputation for low quality can be overcome by the participation of the best designers. Yeah, whatever. That architects should privilege the original green of traditional buildings, resisting the high-tech blandishness or blandishments of the certification guards. Low-tech environmentalism would better survive the difficult century that is upon us. This is very important. And I think I'm going to do an, an, an episode, a separate episode on this as well. I'm trying to rush. Okay, according to our very, very, you know, um, our author that we're very, very grateful to, Andres Duani, he says this is an open list, as you will see when you go and check the article out. And you can also submit your own guiding principles. The, the contact point is included in the article and you can check it out yourself and then do the needful. So I'm really, I'm really glad. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just not going to take any more of your time. I'm really glad that whoever stopped to the end or whoever skipped through to the end to even hear this part, whichever one you fall into, I'm really grateful you took out the time to listen to today's episode. If you if you notice, I'm getting really good at this or better at this, and I'm becoming more comfortable recording this podcast, and it's becoming more enjoyable as 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 we go. Um, this is the sixth, seventh week. I, I don't really know now. Or well, the seventh episode. I think the sixth episode I don't know I don't know how, how do I forget this but the point is that I've really come a long way and I say this because I, I know myself most times it's very hard to be consistent beyond a month especially for something like this where I have to put myself out there present myself out there. I'm a very reclusive person I'm, I'm I love being in my own space and it's it's a problem so being able to have done this for this long is very very i commend it's commendable for myself i'm I'm impressed with myself i'm happy with myself and to a large extent is because of the fact that every day do not very many or every every week i put out this content there are a couple of people that take out your time to listen to it and i'm really really great grateful to you guys i'm super 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 thankful to you guys for checking out your time and listening to this episode and that that is honestly what keeps me going and i'll continue to produce you know i'll try to make sure that as we go on the quality the content and everything just gets improved um and becomes better and better and better so you can have a more enjoyable experience anytime you're on architecture out of sight also i'm trying to i'm going to try to expand the community beyond just the podcast i'm going to have a whatsapp group for people that are interested in having you know real-time in-person conversations and i'm going to try to be hosting a couple of webinars and probably some twitter spaces to give even more opportunities for 
for open conversations on some of the topics that we're going to be discussing or some of the topics that we've discussed um without much ado and um so i just don't waste any more of your time thank you very much for listening to today's episode of architecture out of sight i value your your audience i value your time and i'm really grateful that you're here also just one last request please do me a favor share this episode with your friends your architecture friends your architecture contacts people you think would be interested in listening and being part of this conversation and probably eventually part of the community to really 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 mean a lot to me and a lot to the podcast you could also like i think it has something to do with boosting the visibility of the of the podcast even if you don't want to share at least you could like or something but it would really really mean a lot to me if you could just share with somebody it doesn't have to be a lot of people just maybe one or two people and um architectural out of sight will be better for it and on behalf of every one of us that listens to this podcast thank you very much have a very beautiful day until next time (music) 